Here's a sneak peek of what we have today. Able to kind of practice, not outside your scope, but you're pushing your limits. I'm just curious, like, is, is everything that you're learning right now translatable to like a general practice? A lot of what you get out of the program is what you put into the program. Like, I bet you I've gotten $35,000 worth CE paid for. There's a lot to know about in dentistry. We should be having discussions about business, entrepreneurship, and innovation. So let's start right here, right now. This is the business of drilling. All right, so welcome back to the business of drilling. Really excited to have you here today. We have a very special guest, Dr. Jonah Sackis. I'm joined here today by my co-host, Jury and Christian. Jury and Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to talk to Jonah. I'm ready to talk to you guys. Have a good conversation today. Looking forward to it. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here and excited to have great conversations. So Jonah is a pretty interesting guest. Um, he is just an absolute rock star. He graduated from Shoe Lake, our school uh, last year, Jonah. Yeah, last year. Yeah, last year. And so he's he's uh, doing a GPR right now in Alberta. So he's doing a Canadian GPR, which we'll be talking about today. And he's also uh, the recipient of the Dental Corp Scholarship, which we'll get into today. So we're, we're excited to kind of talk about that and pick his brain a bit. So Jonah, welcome. How you doing? I'm doing good, guys. Thank you so much for having me on this nice, uh, sunny Sunday, Mother's Day. Sorry for booking that today, but I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> always working eh? <laughs> always, always got to do something <laughs> yeah. so Jonah how did you like why don't you just tell us about yourself like how did you get into dentistry what's your story um okay so so I'm a little bit older than some people that graduated in my class like I just turned 30 this year so I was 29 when I finished dental school um so I'm from Calgary uh born and raised there and then I kind of so I kind of stumbled into dentistry I didn't really know that I, it actually wasn't on my radar at all um, when I went through high school and even when I started university. <clears throat> so being from here, virtually everybody kind of goes into engineering or business and tries to get into oil and gas industry. And that's just kind of like the thing that people do. So I was studying mechanical engineering actually at the University of Calgary. And then just a couple things happened um, where I wound up getting a scholarship to play hockey in the States to a school kind of randomly, but they didn't have an engineering program there. So if I was going to go to the school, I had to switch out. And that's when I really started considering, like, am I enjoying engineering? Am I not? <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I wound up not going to the school, but I decided that I actually wanted to get into healthcare. Uh, and I wasn't sure. I Like everybody, I thought that was going to mean medicine. So I switched out of Eng and I started in science uh, at the University of Calgary. And then during my undergrad, what I used to do is I used to work in forestry in the summertime. So um, I worked uh, doing wildfire fighting out here in, in Alberta, which was awesome. It's like the greatest job ever. And um, my roommate in my training for wildfire was actually just applying to dental school. And that was the first person I'd ever talked to who had told me like, oh, you should, maybe you should consider being a dentist or whatever, right? And so his name is, is Gary. And, and so we were roommates. We wound up being on the same crew that year. And then he got into dental school while we were working together. And literally at the end of that summer, I was like, you know what, I'm going to like look into dentistry. And so that's what I started doing for the next like year. Um, and then I realized that, you know, I, I actually kind of realized then I was like, you know what, like dentistry, I think is more for me than medicine. And that's when I started making the like plans to switch my, my kind of career path. And then I just kind of went with it and, and I wound up getting in, thank God. And then a uh, funny story, I actually applied to U of A, interviewed there, didn't get in got into Western and now I'm doing their GPR. So I kind of feel good because it's almost like a, a bit of a full circle. So, so that's kind of nice. Vindicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Victory. Right. Yeah. I got the there last go. laugh. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So how was, how was dental school for you? And like, wh why did you decide to go into a GPR in the first place? Um, so dental school for me, was like really similar. I, like 
to everybody else's experience from, from, you know, from my perspective, you know, it was just like school was tough, like school's challenging. And, uh, you know, especially in like Ontario schools, like, you know, you always hear about like clinical experience and maybe we, we don't get as much as other places, especially the States or overseas. So, you know, when I was going through school, I kind of made it a priority. Um, I was just kind of thinking about my first three years out of school. And my goal is to own a practice someday. And in my opinion, um, I don't think that it's really wise to start opening a practice until dentistry feels like it's second nature. And for myself, like that's not for everybody. For myself, I would like to really have dentistry kind of under control before I decide to take on a business and run a business and do all that stuff. So, so I kind of made the choice that I was like, you know what, in my first three years of the school, I really want to just learn as much as I possibly can and try and set myself up so that when I do make my purchase or I do get into um, potentially a partnership or something for a practice that I feel really confident uh, in dentistry as much as possible. And so that's kind of like in first and second year, I started thinking about that. And then um, I just noticed too, like a lot of the speakers that came to Western to kind of give us lectures to the students, they, uh, they were all kind of, you know, like the quote unquote rock star dentists in Ontario and stuff. And I just kind of found that uh, there was, it was consistency kind of across the board that the majority of them had done a GPR or a residency or an AGD or something like that. So that's kind of what piqued my interest. I was like, oh, maybe this is a way to kind of fast track learning a little bit. And so that's when I really started looking into specifically residencies in the first year out. And, and then just after my research and stuff, I decided that it was a good way to kind of get myself uh, maybe one or two steps ahead of the game, right out of the gate, out of school. And that's why I, did, I chose to do it. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. I've actually, I, I've talked to a number of people now that, again, same as you have noticed that for whatever reason, you know, the, the major practice owners, like they've all done some sort of postgraduate training. Um, and it's, I find it kind of rare for people to just get into like, you know, successful practice ownership without having done a GPR. And uh, I've only met a handful of people that have, they're still successful on their own, but I think it's very dependent on the type of person you are. Like if you just want some extra training and like you want to get into some different uh, procedures, I guess, and get more uh, comfortable with that. But the major benefit that I've heard from GPRs is the fact that you get to work with like medically compromised patients. Is that right? Yeah. For yeah. Sure. And, and you're absolutely right. Like I don't think that a GPR is like necessary to be a great dentist by any way or like in any means. Um, but I do think that it just kind of puts you in a, in a position where you are able to kind of practice, not outside your scope, but you're pushing your limits and you have people there who can, who can help you and teach you in like a safe, like a learning environment. Right. And yeah. so for me, I think that that's like really, really important, especially as a new grad. So you can 100% graduate dental school, go get an awesome job with an amazing mentor and learn like tons. And then you're going to get paid more than I'm getting paid right now, right? But if you get into a good residency program, um, you're kind of, it facilitates that learning, right? That's kind of the whole, whole purpose of it. So, um, you know, theoretically anyways. So for, to answer your question, like what is the benefit of the residency program? Um, so yes, medically compromised is definitely something that is a big part of, of doing a residency program where you're getting, you know, used to treating um, people who have end-stage renal disease, end-stage liver disease, they're on a transplant list, um, they're undergoing chemotherapy, people that have blood dyscrasias, like all sorts of stuff, right? Like hospital inpatients, like sick people and managing um, coagulopathies, so you know, you get really good at looking at people's medical histories, checking their INR, checking their platelets, 
Um, just kind of understanding why you're doing it. You know what I mean? Like when are you a little sketched out to do like surgical stuff, for instance, and how do you manage that? Right. So that's, that's a really big part of it. But to be honest with you, the benefits of the program totally depends on where you go. And that's because not all of the residency programs, especially in Canada are, are similar um, or, or sorry, some are similar, but there are some that are very different than others. And unless you kind of do the research ahead of time to find out where you're going, um, you might actually be surprised at how much you don't do as well in specific areas. <clears throat> so I think the big thing is you have to kind of think to yourself, um, what do I want to get out of the year? And then you have to try and find a, like pick a program that's going to give you what you want. Because for instance, in my program, I would, I would argue that the bigger benefit is not the hospital side of the, of the equation. Like we still get exposure. We're, we're there like 40% of our time, 30% of our time where we're dealing with medical compromised patients and stuff. But the majority of our time is spent in a private practice setting at the school and we're placing implants, restoring all the periograd implants. Um, every second Wednesday we do wisdom tooth cases all day. Well, sorry, uh, half a day. Um, I've got my IV sedation certificate. Like, so next Wednesday I'm doing a full day of IV sedation and impacted wisdom teeth um, and like on, on young, healthy patients, right? So you're not dealing with, with the medical compromise there, but you're doing more quote unquote advanced dentistry. Right. Um, and so for me, that's what I wanted out of a program and that's why I picked Edmonton. So it kind of depends on what you want, right? Like I wanted exposure to the hospital side. I'm still getting that, but I didn't just want to be in a hospital where for instance, from a restorative dentistry perspective, you're just doing amalgam. You're just doing dentures you're doing like SDF on everything because you're just trying to like prevent disease on people who are really sick. You're not doing elective comprehensive dentistry, right? So you got to pick based on what you want to get out of it. But yeah. there are programs that we both, right? Chris, you and I always bounce back between GPRs. <laughs> I was just about to yeah, bring that up. Yeah, we, we always bounce back. Um, there's obviously there's the money's one thing, but obviously me and Vlad don't really uh, think that's a deterrent obviously, yeah. um, because becoming a better dentist, it, it sets you up for a better future and so on. Like it's, it's, it's like the butterfly effect, but, um, I'm just curious, like, is, is everything that you're learning right now translatable to, uh, um, like a general practice, a general dentist, or does it set you up? Cause I know a lot of people do, uh, GPRs, um, to set you up for a residency. So is right. it kind of like a half, half, like, does it set you up better for a residency or does it set you up better for a general practice? For sure. Good question. So, um, so again, it depends on the program you pick, right? So for instance, if you're going to attend a, um, let's say the Dalhousie surgical internship, right? Like that is a resident, a GPR or a residency program, for instance, but you're essentially a surgical resident, an OMF resident. You're just the lowest on the totem pole, right? So in, in that case, you're just doing surge, you're prepping yourself for OMF, right? Or there are specific programs in Ontario, for instance, like sick kids, right? And that, that residency, the majority of the work that you do is pedo. So like, if you want to be a pediatric dentist, that is the residency for you because you're getting exposed to pedo all year long, right? Or if you want to do oral surgery, for instance, Sunnybrook or Sinai, right? Like you're, you're in the OR a lot. You are admitting patients, discharging patients, writing pre and post-op orders. Like a lot of the hospital stuff that you do is like an oral surgeon, but you're not doing a ton of like restorative dentistry, right? So like I had a friend actually um, who told me this and, and not saying that like 
this is everybody's experience. But he said to me, you know, he's like, yeah, I did the Sunnybrook Sinai. And he's like, man, I can biopsy squamous cell carcinoma. But like, if I had to drop a box on a class two, I'll, I'll be sweating. <laughs> right. And, and like, that's, that's a perfect example of what you do during the year in your residency. Right. So he wanted to do general dentistry and he was actually really nervous to get into private practice. Cause he's like, man, I haven't done like quadrant resto in, in, in a year. Right. And he's like, and I never did quadrant resto in dental school because I wasn't fast. <laughs> so like, you know, he's like, I've never done it. And now I'm like stepping into a private practice setting. And like, am I going to be man- managing like oral lesions, like in private practice? Like you might, it's kind of cool to say you can, but I mean, how often are you going to see that? Right. So you really have to like, that's what I mean by you have to think about where you want to be. And so, so for me, like I knew that I want to be a general practice dentist, right? And so I tried to look into the programs and to pick a program where I got to do a lot of general practice style stuff. So in my case, I would say virtually everything that I'm doing is trans transferable. Like it's like we um, do all of our own new patient exams, do all of our own comprehensive treatment. I've done quite a bit of like fixed and cross work, um, a little bit of removal. I try to avoid that, but like, like some, some bigger, like comprehensive fixed cases, again, like wisdom teeth. That's totally a general practice thing. Like getting good at wisdom teeth. That's huge. Um, sedation uncertified and like nitrous oral IV now. So that's a really big draw for our, for general practice as well. We learn like the bioclear method of restorative. So like I'm fully licensed in that I am licensed in CBCT now. Um, like, so I could own a CBCT and, and do my own CBCT interpretations. Um, and then like endo, like we do lots, well, not lots, you probably do more endo in private practice just because of like volume, but we get really good endo training. Um, so yeah, like virtually everything that I'm doing is like general, this is a general practice residency that's supposed to set you up for general practice, but not all of the residencies are that way. And that's yeah. why it's so important to look into them if you can, right? Cause you might, you might feel like you waste the year and that's, and, and then you're not getting paid much either. So if you're not really happy with the knowledge you're taking away from your year, it doesn't justify, it doesn't justify the cut and pay. Right. Does that make sense? So, and so did you, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense. And, and, and did you know that like, obviously, um, as you said, you just have to talk to people who've been in the program or people who run the program or, um, use as many resources as you can. But did you know this? going into Alberta, like th- th- this was going to be it. Or did you kind of just get lucky? Cause no, I knew, I knew for the most part, yeah. right? Like, and, and it's because, well, you, you know, as much as you can know, it's kind of like dental school, right? Like you don't really know what dental school is like until you get there. But, um, yeah, no, like I, I spent quite a bit of time like trying to, I reached out to the programs that I thought I was at. So first of all, what I did was I spoke to people who were older than me and who had gone through it. And I asked them for some ideas like, Hey, can you give me like, which ones have you heard are really good for this or whatever? Cause once you do a residency, you kind of, everybody kind of talks a little bit. And so I kind of got like a little bit of a rough list. And then I just reached out to those programs and asked if they could put me in touch with one of their current residents or recent graduates. And then literally like no shame. I just like texted them or like LinkedIn messaged them or whatever, introduced myself and like, just said, Hey, can I like just pick your brain for 15 minutes on the phone? Right. And, and that's kind of what I wound up doing. And then I found that 15 minutes on the phone with these people was like worth three hours of my own research online. Right. Like, and, and, and way, way more worth it actually. So, so that's kind of what I did. So I kind of recommend that that's what people do um, because you really don't know, like you read all the websites, they all sound fantastic and amazing and, and kind of the same. Right. But unless you've been through the program, it's pretty tough to like really know what you actually do on the day to day. 
right? So now a caveat, if you want to do that and reach out to residents, keep in mind that they're busy. And, and so like, you know, obviously like you want to be polite too. Like you don't want to, you don't want to like try and talk to them for two hours on like a Tuesday night or something. Right. Like honestly, you'd, you'd be surprised. Like everyone's busy, but I swear, like, I don't know if it's like this for, for everybody, but the people I've talked to so far, like just want to help. Like I, I've been on a call sure. with someone for like, Oh, can I call, can I like mess? Like I'll message them on Facebook and they're like, yeah, like just call me for five minutes. And then we talk for like two hours. For sure. like, Absolutely. I was like, sorry, for, you know, like, thank you for like giving me so much of your time. But it's like, people want to help. It's, it's, it's kind of surprising to be honest. They do. Yeah, for sure. Just introduce yourself first. <laughs> yeah. That's been like the, the coolest thing. Like everyone, everyone's just, everyone's willing to help. Yeah. That's what's nice. Sure. Yeah, yeah you question it. You're like, oh, what's in it for you? There's nothing in it for them. Like, I mean, I was kind of surprised that all these people agreed to talk to me. I'm it's thinking just... that like, it's such a, it's such a niche topic. And like Dennis, like you don't, it's hard to talk about dentistry to people that aren't in dentistry, right? So it's like, you don't get a chance to kind of just spill your guts and kind of, I don't know, just talk about all the issues or good things that are happening and stuff like that. So I feel like it's almost like cathartic for some people just to kind of reach out and help out. So hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's funny you guys mentioned this because, um, when I was interviewing at Schulich, I was talking to a family friend and I was like, you know, um, asking about it and they're like, you have to talk to Jonah. He's a rock star and <laughs> you're actually the person that I reached out to and you were kind enough to pass along, um, like so much words of wisdom and, and, um, advice to me. But I remember the night before my interview, I was on the phone with you, Jonah, and I was like panicking <laughs> about my interview. And, um, you did such a good job of, you know, putting things into perspective for me. And I remember you telling a story about how you were like biking in the snow, the, the, Oh, my interview today. Yeah. Yeah. Flat tires, snow coming down. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) I had no idea where I was or where I was going. Yeah. 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 But your guidance really put it really did put things into perspective and it it made a difference in my approach going into my interview because you told me, you said, um, you know, they're interviewing you, but you're also interviewing them. Mm -hmm. And um, it seems like that's kind of the approach that you took to your GPR as well. But I wanted to ask you, like, do you feel well supported in your, in your, in your residency? And and what are things or questions that people should be asking that want to do a GPR when they're looking at different programs to make sure that it's a good fit for them and that they will be supported in that, in that year? So that's, that's like a really good question. And so I'll, so, so I'll be honest with you. So there's four, four residents this year, um, like three co-residents and myself, and we're all like really close. Um, they're, they're awesome. And one's going into oral surgery. One's going to be going into perio sometime soon here. And the other, uh, myself and the other one are, are going into like general practice. And so like, I'll kind of give you my perspective, but I, I'll be honest with you. It's different than their perspective. Everybody kind of has their own experience. Um, so like for me, like I feel relatively well supported this year at our institution has been challenging with COVID. And we had a change of, of leadership in the program too. And so there's kind of a transition year on top of COVID. So like, it's not as um, stable as it would have been like three years ago when everything was just running, like the, like there was no disruption at all. Right. So taking that into account and the fact that it can't, like they are kind of making changes as they go. And sometimes we're having to figure things out along the way. Um, I do think that we are relatively sport, well supported. I do feel that way. 
Um, but there are several other people in my residency that don't agree with me. Right. And so I guess it just comes down to what, how supported do you expect to be? Right. So I'll be honest with you. Like it's, it's kind of sink or swim. Like you get thrown into it and like, the first three months of this year for me were like incredibly challenging, like probably the most stressed I've ever been in my life. And, and like, I, I was like really busy in dental school. Like you guys know, like I did, I did a lot of extracurricular stuff and all that. And like this year for sure takes the cake for being like the most, the busiest I've been and the most stressed out I've been. And, um, and you know, part of that is just because being a new grad is really hard for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're in private practice or residency, like the first three months is like a real, real wake up call. And it's super humbling. Like you think you're going to be like, you know, slapping in implants and like this rock star guy, like in their girl in the first six months. And like, you realize like, Oh my God, they want me to do like, you know, quadrant dentistry in an hour. And you're like, and that seems like mind blowing, right? Like you're like, Oh my God, how am I going to do like four teeth in like 60 minutes, like with freezing and with the rubber dam and like, and like you have to wrap your head around that stuff first, right? Before you're going to be doing all this like high end treatment. So, so it's hard for everybody, but yeah. So like, so the fact that the first three months is tough um, and then it's a COVID year, like I still do feel like I'm relatively well supported. And, but at saying that a lot of what you get out of the program is what you put into the program. So like, if you want to just kind of coast and you don't want to do challenging cases or you're not going to, you know, take the time to seek out the prosthodontist that you work with and like, and talk to him or her about cases and like bring your models and sit down and like learn, like there's no like official time for you to do that. Right. So like all the support is there, but you kind of have to go outside of your own like nine to five to like get it sometimes. And that's just the reality. And so for some people that's viewed as like, you know, like that's not acceptable. Right. And so it kind of comes down to like you as the person, right? Like, like I work a lot, right? Like I'm, I'm at the school a lot, like my, like minimum 10 hours a day. Right. So, um, well minimum nine maybe, but like, more and more often 10. So, so yeah, like definitely have the support there, but it's, it's kind of like how much do you want to access that support? Right. At the same time as it being supplied for you. Right. Like nobody's going to hold your hand, quote unquote, you know, like that kind of typical thing. But, but if you want it, it, it will be given to you. Um, do you mind going through like what a, a, like a busy week for you is like, like what, what do you do in a Canadian GPR? Yeah. Uh, so again, it depends. I'll, I'll tell you about my program. Um, it's different than the other ones. But so here in Edmonton, uh, so it, it kind of depends. It depends on the month. It depends on the time of year, right? So like, uh, like now I'm actually a little bit less busy than I was in the first six months. So I'll start by saying that it's kind of starting to taper down. I think part of that is the fact that I'm getting more comfortable with everything that I'm doing. Um, so stuff just isn't taking me as long. And the other thing is that all of my continuing education stuff is done, right? So like, for instance, in December, like I worked like 24 days in a row without a day off. Like I broke like 300 hours, I think in December of work, but it's because like I was working, I was on call and I was doing my IV sedation course and ACLS course and all this other stuff going on. That was like my, my weekends were like IV sedation, nine, eight or nine hour clinic days. And then Monday to Friday I was working and I was on call for a week and stuff. So that was a really, really busy month. Whereas my month right now is like pretty chill for, for the most part. Right. Like I don't, I'm not, I don't have any courses and stuff. So it depends on the time of year. Okay, for how busy you're going to be, but like day to day. So, um, so basically there's two clinics in Edmonton. 
okay, at this residency, there's a hospital clinic, and then there's the, the, the resident clinic in the dental school, okay? And so we kind of split our time between those two clinics. So, um, and, and not evenly though. So I'm in the, the hospital clinic, like kind of four days a month, like weekdays. Okay. But I'm also there two weekends a month working emergency shifts. So, but my, the majority of my Monday to Friday standard kind of weekday stuff is spent at the resident clinic at the school. And so those two clinics, like I was explaining earlier, are, you do kind of different things. So at like on the, a weekday at the hospital clinic, um, you know, you're seeing, um, so it's a private practice inside a hospital. That's the only one in, in the country that runs that way. So we, we treat like physicians, like people on staff at the hospital and stuff, but also treat, um, so it's like a general practice, but we also see inpatients and, and people who are referred for specific things and people who are really sick. So it's kind of a bit of both, but the residents see more of the sick people. We, we're not like doing, you know, like crown and bridge on like doctors there, right? Like that's what the staff doctors that work there full time do more of. So, so yeah, so it's kind of like, uh, we start at eight. So I usually get there around like seven, seven thirty, and like review my charts because, um, like I have to look up everybody online and like, for the most part, like if I'm seeing like a pre radiotherapy patient or like a pre transplant patient or something, I want to like look them up, look up their medical history, um, all their meds, like, you know, their three page long med list, like, you know, look up any meds, maybe I don't know, stuff like that. So I try to get there an hour early. I do that. And then literally just like eight to four is just kind of like dentistry. Like, you know, I'm seeing patients for new patient exams or I'm doing restorative or, you know, surgical stuff. Majority, like I said, on these inpatients and sick people. And so a lot of it is kind of like new patient exam. Okay. When is your radiotherapy? Okay. Let's look at your dosimetry loop. Where are you getting radiation and how much, which teeth are at risk for infection when are you getting your radiation? Okay. You need to have these three teeth taken out, but like your radiation is in six days. Like, so when are we going to, and you're kind of quarterbacking, like trying to get these people to be seen before the radiation or like with you or another dentist. So that's a lot of admin work too. Right. Um, but then at the same time, like I, you see a lot of, a lot of people who are, uh, it's, it's called Indian affairs out here NIHB, but it's like indigenous people, for instance, um, uh, we see a lot of, of indigenous patients as well. So you're, you're doing a lot of like quadrant dentistry and stuff in those scenarios too. Um, so it kind of depends. It's a mixed bag, but it's, it's a little bit, um, it's a lot of administrative work for the amount of dentistry that you do for sure. But uh, you still see like six to eight patients a day, you know, like it's, you're, it's like a full, it's a busy practice, right? Like you're, you're not just seeing like, you know, two or three patients a day. It's like you're, you're expected to do a new patient exam in 45 minutes sometimes like with rads, with, with interps, with treatment planning, with everything, room flips, you see somebody else and then you got an hour for a radiation consult kind of thing or fillings or whatever you're doing. So that's kind of the hospital. Um, and then at the, the clinic at the school, like I said, it's, it's, uh, um, healthier patients, but kind of higher in dentistry, I would say, you know? Um, so it's like eight to four, uh, is what, is what we work or nine to four, nine to four, actually we work nine to four. And, um, so basically what you do is, is it's just kind of like a regular private practice. So we have assistants that work with us in both places full time. And so, uh, it's just kind of like a private practice. So you do a lot of new patients, um, and you kind of like, you do your own treatment plans, right? So a lot of what you get out of the year, what you do is like, I don't want to say how good are you at selling treatment, but like, are you talking to your patients? Like, are do your patients mm-hmm. need crown and bridge? Are you bringing it up? 
have you discussed an implant or whatever in that one edentulist space? Like if you're not talking to your patients, you're not going to do a whole lot of stuff either, right? It's just like private practice. Right. And then, but at that clinic, the, the learning um, kind of environment is nice because, um, so for instance, every Wednesday is oral surgery day. So we work with an oral surgeon and it alternates. So every other Wednesday is, is wisdom teeth or difficult exos or enucleating cysts or whatever, like path or whatever you want to do, like tuberosity reductions and stuff with the oral surgeon. And then every Wednesday in between is implant clinic where the residents place implants with an oral surgeon there. Oh, right so, on. Okay. So, yeah, so it's every, every Wednesday it alternates. So you're not placing an implant every second Wednesday because all four residents don't place implants on implant. Right, right. It's kind of like one day a month. You, you are placing implants or one day every three weeks or whatever, right? Well, you get that exposure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like in the past, like this is, this is one thing that this year kind of took a hit. So like I'll probably place 10, 10 to 12 this year. But in the past, residents have placed 20, 25. So wow. like one day a year. Yeah. So like we're like you pound them out for sure. Um, but then, so that's like oral surgery day, right? Uh and then every one Friday a month is like endo day. So we just book our molar endo and we have an endodontist come in who's like amazing. And we do, uh, the residents give a lecture like from seven till eight for an hour. Then you do case review from eight till eight thirty. Then it's like molar endo usually do two cases a day. And then it's like case, um, kind of like rounds afterwards where you present what you did, what went wrong, how do you fix this and stuff like that. We do that one, one Friday a month. Um, and then every Thursday is cross day. So we have a prosthodontist, uh, Dr. Compton, who's like awesome. And, uh, so he's, he's there all day. So like, if you have a difficult, so for instance, you know, I've got a, a 10 unit crown and bridge case or whatever. Right. And like, so I'll book that with, with Dr. Compton and he'll help me, you know, with the preps or whatever, like, or the, the treatment planning aspect of it. And I'll book it on that day in case I have any issues. Like, you know, he's there to help out or I can just ask him and stuff like that. Or if you're restoring some like complicated implant stuff, because we restore all the implants placed in periograd as well. So like they refer all of their, their implants for us to restore. So you're, if you're restoring implants, doing crown bridge or doing something for the first time, you're not really sure about, you can book them that patient in on a Thursday with prosthodontist and he'll help you out. So, so it's like that to me, like that's really, really beneficial is there's only four of us. And we essentially have like one-on-one almost access to specialists on those days, right? And they're there just for us. So that to me is a real big benefit of this program versus even finding an awesome mentor in private practice because, you know, you might not agree, but in my opinion, I'd rather learn how to extract teeth from an oral surgeon than I would from a general dentist with experience, right? And that's just because like they're an oral surgeon and, and they're like, you kind of realize when you do this, like, how much general dentists don't know from the perspective of like lit review. Like it just really gives you a respect for specialists because like they, they know why they're doing everything. Right. Right. And I think that's the disconnect with some general practice uh, dentists is like they can do it. Their hands are good enough, but they don't really understand why they're doing it or like right, right. how to fix it if something goes wrong. So that to me, like that's like the, the benefit of having a specialist there. Wow. Yeah. That sounds, that actually, Sounds really helpful because I'm just thinking now, you know, like even if you have a really good mentor, right? What are the odds of you finding a super GP mentor that's just like so well versed in every aspect of dentistry, right? And it seems like, you know, your program, you, you have such a good resourceful network of uh, of specialists that you can go to with any question, really. So 
I don't really think about that for a GPR. That, that makes a lot more sense, to be honest. Yeah, yeah for sure. Benefit in that. And they're willing to teach. That's it. Like, like they're there because they want to teach. So like the more you engage them, the happier they are. Right. So, yeah. And, and it also really helps you build relationships with specialists in, if you, for instance, I'm staying in Edmonton for two years. Like I, I I'm really, um, I know like quite well, like a lot of specialists in the city now, right? Like, like, I mean, texting or phone calling now, which right. I think for me is really beneficial for private practice if I have a question, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and then just before we kind of move on, if you don't mind, just, uh, I'll say to like, so that's kind of like my day to day and then the evening or sorry, the weekends. So there's like a, the hospital clinic is open to, uh, 20, well, not 24 seven, sorry. Every day, 365 days a year, including Christmas, New Year's day, all that stuff. So, and we do emergency clinics on the weekends and on staff holidays. So the residents okay. are responsible for filling in those days. So, right. um, and that's like walk-in emergency, right? Wow. So it's yeah. like a proper, proper residency experience. Yeah. So it's like, well, I mean, they, they walk in, but like they actually, because of COVID, they have to book appointments, right? So they call and they come in, but it's like drop in and you get like 45 minutes with the patient and just do like whatever you're going to do. So, um, it depends on what you see. And then, uh, or on the day, it depends what you see. And then, um, lots of infections and a lot of extractions and stuff like that. And then like bleeding and stuff like that. And then, that, um, we're on call one week a month. So seven days uh, in a row, you're on call. And then the week before that, you're on second call. So if the person on call has to go into the hospital clinic to do like, I don't know, a splinting case because somebody got hit in the face with a softball or something. And then the oral surgeon on call calls and says, hey, like I need somebody to assist me in the OR tonight because there's this other trauma thing going on. That's when second on call has to go assist the oral surgeon, right? So, So you're on call quite a bit. But it doesn't mean that you're going to get called all the time. It kind of, yeah, yeah. Some shifts are crazy and some are pretty quiet. I always wondered what it's like to be on call as a GPR resident. Like, I was thinking, like, man, like, whoa, is there really that much to kind of do, right? But I, I'm assuming, like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like, any kind of trauma or anything, like, that comes mm-hmm. in. That's cool. That's sweet. Yeah. So it kind of depends, right? It depends. Yeah, yeah. Jonah, I wanted to ask, uh, because you're talking about your day-to-day. So you, you talked about, like, you, you took a bunch of CE as well. How does CE slot into your residency? Is that something that's part of the program, or do you do it on your own? Yeah, no, so good question. Again, so, like, that's something that I thought was really strong about this program, and another reason why I chose it um, was because all the CE that I've, I've probably gotten, I mean, I don't know, uh, like, the IV sedation course is 23000 bucks or something. Like, I bet you I've gotten $35,000 worth of CE paid for uh, this year. So, IV sedation. Um, By the program? Like, yeah, it's all paid. So, wow. so, like, I get paid to go to the program, but the, uh, this, the CE that I'm getting is free, right? So, yeah. IV sedation was provided. Um, Invisalign was provided. Uh, I'm certified to use soft tissue diode lasers now. Um, CBCT, that's done. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else we've gotten. I think those are kind of the big ones. If, if I, if, if I'm forgetting one and I think about it, I'll bring it up. But yeah, so yeah. IV sedation, CBCT, soft tissue laser, Invisalign. Um, yeah. And sorry, you said you paid for the program. So is this, uh, it's not like a stipend based program? Uh, no, sorry. Sorry. I get paid by the yeah. program. So I have like a salary and then, but the CE is provided. Oh. So it's free. Yeah. So I get that's paid. sweet. Yeah. And I can tell you how much I get paid. Cause that's just, you can just look that up online too. But like <laughs> I get paid like 54 a year. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So I get that's paid 54 a year. 
but I also get paid for my emergency shifts. So it winds up being about 70 a year. What? I swear. I thought like you, you get like a 40 K in Canada. You do. And it depends where you are. Wow. So that's again, not that bad at all. Yeah. If that's a major consideration for you, um, which I think is like super valid. Like if finances are something that you're really concerned about, yeah, you, you might want to look into different programs that potentially pay more too. Cause they don't all pay the same. Right. So that's what I mean. It's, it's like this, I think it's really important to do a lot of research, I guess. Right. Because yeah, for, for sure. instance, if the reason that you didn't want to do a residency is because you're scared about money because like 34 grand to you just isn't enough for a year. Like, but you, nobody told you that there's other residencies that pay you like 70. You wouldn't even look into it. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, mm-hmm. It's. I mean, like it, it, Chris and I and Jerry, we always talk about it as well. Like, you know, the GPRs, it, you're always kind of like weighing like upsides and downsides here. And, you know, because we're kind of focused around like business finances and stuff with Debbie anyways. Um, right. We try to kind of like consider the financial side of things as well. Um, but I mean, I'll be honest, like for me, like, you know, one of the biggest aspects for doing a GPR versus not doing a GPR was again, like, should you get started on your loans? Is the stuff you're going to do really applicable to practice? But I mean, after talking to you, I, I swear my opinion on GPRs changes every conversation I have. Yeah, it's I know. ridiculous. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's, it's oh, yeah, everybody like I, we've talked to people who did GPRs, people who've done uh, specialties, people who've gone straight to practice. And I honestly don't think one person has like said they regret it. Yeah. I don't know if it's just, we got lucky, but, um, obviously there's downsides to everything. You know what I mean, like, it's not, um, it's not like, don't um, like interrupt me if I'm wrong, but there's obviously downsides to, to or, or things that you, you can get from a private practice that you wouldn't get in GPR and vice versa and same with specialty. And it's like, whatever you end up doing, most people have just been like, I'm, I'm pretty content or not even that they're, they're like happy with what they're doing. So it, yeah. it's honestly just, it's completely subjective. Yeah. That's actually a good point. Yeah, no one's really said many regrets. Like it's just like, yeah, like I just took a different path, and, and yeah, for sure. And and that's kind of what I was getting at too at the beginning, right? Like you don't have to do a residency to be an awesome dentist and be super successful and all that stuff, right? For sure. Yeah, I, I hear you. And then um, Chris, to answer your question too, like um, yeah, a hundred percent. Like my program is not perfect. Like there's a lot of things that you know we we complain about and and stuff like that too as residents and. Um, you know, this year, for instance, like one of the major sellers was, you know, I wanted to hit the 20 implant mark. Like, I'm not going to do that this year. I'm going to fall short. It's just the, the way that the year has been. So like, that's not perfect. And, and so like, it, it's, you're right. Like, or endo, for instance, like we got really good didactic, but I guarantee you that a lot of my friends in private practice probably got way more reps of endo. Right. And it comes down to like the, a lot of the patients that you see in this scenario, in my setting are they're at the school because it's, they pay 80% of the fee guide. Right. So it's cheaper. So a lot of these people are motivated by like saving money. So when you're talking and, and endo in Alberta is like obscenely expensive, like a molar here is like 1500 bucks or like 1300 bucks. Yeah. So like when you're talking to people about like saving a molar and they're like, Oh, you need a mole, an endo and a crown. It's, it's a $3,000 tooth. Right. So for a lot of people, they'll be like, nah, take it out. Right. So whereas like if you're in private practice in an area that's like quite affluent, let's say, and people have benefits and they're, they're really motivated to keep their teeth, like you're going to do more endo. So like if you're, if you wanted your goals, it's like, I want to get as much molar endo as I can because I really want to get good at more endo. Like my program probably isn't the best for that. Right. But 
at the same time, I don't really think you're doing more rendo in any residency. So if I were to say like in Canada, I mean, so if I were to say, you know, like, uh, like relatively speaking, we get a lot of molar endo in my program compared to a program in Toronto, let's say, right. But still you're going to do more in private practice. Yeah. So it's not perfect. It's not the best at everything, but in my opinion, it gets you good at or proficient at a lot of things um, that are scary or difficult to get proficient at in general. Yeah. Right. I feel like it, it builds your foundation, right? Yeah. More so than your rep count. Yeah. Like for instance, like, like I, like a big thing for sure uh, in my program at least is oral surgery. Like I didn't raise a flap in dental school. Right. And I can do, well, I, I shouldn't say this, like, you know, I'm hundred percent proficient at it, but I, I have done now like four impacted wisdom teeth in an hour. Right. Wow. So like, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't raise a flap in dental school. Right. So like, and that's hard, like at the beginning of my program, like, that's something that really stressed me out was like, um, you don't really respect how, how hard that stuff is to learn and scary and stuff like that. If you don't have somebody over your shoulder being like, you know, Oh no, try this, do that. You know what I mean? So that those kinds of things, I feel like they're a little bit harder to like build up the guts to try in general practice, because if you screw up, like it's, it's like, it's not a learning institution, right? Like you're an employee of a principal and like, they expect you to like keep patients happy and stuff. So like, you might be more inclined to refer those cases than just like go for it, right? Jonah, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned earlier about how um, the way that you communicate with your patients is so important. And this is not something that we talk about a lot, but I was wondering in your GPR, because you do have people, you know, over your shoulder or around you, do you feel like you've been able to accelerate or learn um, soft skills, especially because you're working with some vulnerable communities. You mentioned the indigenous communities that you're working with. Um, yeah, in a way, um, yes and no. Like, to be honest with you, I think at the same time this year has really taught me that like, sometimes you can spend an hour talking ideal treatment with somebody and, and the answer is always going to be no, because like they don't value ideal treatment. And so just because you do, it doesn't mean that they're going to. And so I would say it's helped me with my case presentations with people who I know are motivated to pursue the, the, the work, but it's also really helped me realize when I'm just spinning my wheels and to just not even go there, which I think is also a very valuable soft skill too, is to, is to really try and, um, pick up early, like who, what is your patient's priority? Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's no sense in, in selling somebody or trying to sell somebody a Mercedes Benz when like they've, they've never owned or wanted a new car in their life and they're fine driving like a, you know, a 10 year old Corolla. Right. And then that's just, they're just, they don't value a nice car. Right. It's not because they can't afford it even necessarily. It's because they don't value it. They don't want it. Right. So it's like, I would say that that's been a really good thing to learn too. So I think, yeah, like it's, it's helped. I, I mean, do I think it's helped more than a private practice setting? No. Right. Because like you're going to be doing the same thing in private practice. Right. And you might even have a little more consistency in private practice. Right. You might be seeing a lot of patients that are in the same socioeconomic and, and, you know, kind of strata and like same kind of motivations and, and values and stuff like more consistently. Whereas in my program, it's really all over the map. Like you see people who 
they only come in when they have pain. And you'll like, this is, this is like super common. So we'll see this at the hospital where people will come in. They've got rampant carries, rampant infection. They are uh, polysubstance abuse, IV drug user, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all this stuff. And they're just like, they're like walking around with so much infection, like oral infection, but only one tooth hurts. And it's this one. And so you take a pan and you try to show them all this stuff. And you're like, dude, like you, you got to get dentures. Like you got to remove all these teeth. Like you're like, walk, you're walking around. You're going to, your face is going to blow up. It's just a matter of time. Right. And they're like, I don't want it. I just want this one tooth out. This is the only thing that hurts. And like, they're all like, that's all they want. And so like in that case, that's all you do. Right. You take out the one, like the lateral incisor that's like <laughs> is bothering them today. Right. And then you won't see them again for three years until they come back in. And now they're two, four is bugging them. And they will lose all their teeth eventually, but over 10 years. Right. And, and it's, and like, there's nothing you can do about it because that's like their, their situation. Right. So it's really all over the map depending on where you are and or which clinic you're working in here and, and who the patient is for sure. Jonah, I would, uh, I would beat myself up if I didn't ask you about the, the dental corp, uh, oh, yeah. award. Um, can you, can you tell us how that experience went for you? Um, were you surprised? Uh, how did the application process go? Were you nominated or did you apply? I guess you kind of have to apply yourself because I was reading into when you have to like submit forms and recommendation letters and all that stuff. But like, what, what does it meant to you? Um, how did you know about it? Um, what is your future looking like? Kind of like, yeah. talk and before you get into your perspectives, Jonah, like, can, can you tell us about the award as well? Um, yeah, just kind of like yeah. What it is and yeah. So, um, so just to answer your question, I'm still surprised. <laughs> yeah. no, I still think it's a mistake, but okay, that's cool. So uh, we'll <laughs> run with it. But um, yeah, so the award is, so last year was the first year that they offered it. And it's, it's a national award. It's called the Academic Excellence Award. Um, so essentially, Dental Corp kind of started this, this fund or scholarship program. And so every year, um, they offer one award uh, nationally, and it's open to all um, I don't know if it's, it's, it's graduates from a Canadian dental school, actually. So you, even if you're a Canadian citizen and you're practicing or you're going to school overseas, like in Ireland, for instance, I don't think you're eligible to apply. So it's like Canadian uh, students. Okay. So, uh, one award. And then essentially the deal is that, uh, if you win it, um, they pay your tuition back, uh, to you. Um, but in exchange for a two-year contract with them. So it's kind of like a pseudo-military contract you can think of, like the Canadian military. Um, the bonus is, though, it's, it's, um, you actually get to, when it comes to location, you get to tell them where you want to work in Canada. Um, so like I told them, like, I want to work in Edmonton or Calgary. So they facilitated finding me a job in that's those two cities, right? But at the same time, you have to work in a dental court practice, right? So if you told them that you wanted to go to like high level Alberta, like there's probably not a dental court practice there, right? So you're, they're, they're going to tell you like, sorry, but we, we can't provide you a job in that. And setting. they wouldn't like, they wouldn't like open up a practice for you or anything, right? Or like go into a partnership or anything. No, they wouldn't do that. So, and, and once again, like, um, I, I, I probably wouldn't want to be in that situation, like to be, you know, somewhere where it's just me as a new grad, like in a brand new practice. Um, like that's a lot of pressure. Um, but, uh, but no, so generally speaking, it's like an existing practice. And then when you get to the city that you're in, so for instance, I'm in Edmonton right now, um, they, they facilitate, uh, finding new people, but it's also like the, the principals or the clinics are kind of the ones that are looking for an associate, right? 
So it's not like, let's say you have 20, 20 clinics in a locale that is, that are managed by dental court. doesn't mean you're going to get an interview at all 20, right? Or you're going to be put in touch with all 20. If only 10 are looking for associates, because they the only 10 need an additional person, right? Because they're so busy, they're busy enough to hire. So it kind of like they whittle it down to try and like provide you with options where you're going to be busy in the location that you're working. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So how's your experience been? Uh, are you excited? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm stoked. So actually, yeah, it's been good. Like, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, it was like, I almost didn't apply to the award, which is crazy, like super crazy. It was like, cause it was the beginning of COVID and like, um, I was trying to write my American, my second part of my American boards and then that got canceled and scholarship was due like the same week. And, and I was like, ah, oh, do I write this scholarship? But I'll probably never win. And I should be studying for boards. And it was like the week after the Canadian boards too. And then the American board got canceled and I was like, ah, oh, okay, you know what? Now I don't have an excuse. Like I'll spend five days and like write this application. And then I wound up winning the award. So like super, super lucky that COVID happened in my, <laughs> in my scenario with <laughs> But uh, yeah, my experience is really good. Oh, What's that? How did you find out about it? About the award? Yes. Uh, LinkedIn, I think, or Instagram or something. Like I just saw like uh, an ad for it, basically. That's an awesome thing to stumble on, eh? That's funny yeah. how it worked yeah. out. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, I know. So anyways, so, so and actually there was a few people um, in my, my class who applied. Like there was a few of us who were going to apply for it. Like we all kind of found out about it like at the same time and stuff. So so it had been on my radar for a few weeks or a month or two, but I just wasn't convinced that like it was worth my time. Cause like it was, you know, just one award in Canada and I just wasn't convinced that I was going to be competitive. So, um, and plus board exams and all that stuff were happening kind of right around the time that we all discovered it. But so it was honestly a, a really happy, happy circumstance. And my experience has been really good. Like, like they've been awesome. Like it's, uh, uh, basically there's been an HR rep that I've, I've been in contact with and she's been like kind of touching base with me every step of the way and she's, um, amazing. And then, uh, when it came down to, uh, basically, cause I wasn't sure after my residence here, if I wanted to stay in Edmonton or move to Calgary or what my girlfriend and I wanted to do. So, um, they kind of let, they gave me a little bit of time and they were like, once you figure out where you want to work, you just tell us and then we'll, we'll go from there. And then about six months in, I kind of made the decision like, yeah, you know, Edmonton's where we want to be for the next two years. And, uh, then after that, then they kind of put me in touch with a couple of practice owners and I interviewed and, and, um, the rest is history. So I'm, I have a job, which is good. I found one. <laughs> they took me, somebody took me, which is awesome, but I'm, I'm working here in Edmonton. Uh, and it's like a standard, um, associate agreement, right? So, um, you know, it's like a 40% associate agreement, like very standard, like every other job you would get. Uh, um, so essentially it's kind of like getting a signing bonus and just getting a regular job is kind of how you can look at it. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Yeah. It, it, no, it, you. It's cool to see someone like, you know, right from Schulich, like our home, uh, home school and you know, yeah. you're killing it and you're doing so well. Thanks guys. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's, it's been a really, it, it's been a really good, uh, good year for sure. That's good. Exciting. So Jonah, we were kind of getting guests to about an hour. Um, mm -hmm. If you had a suggestion to kind of give students, right, what would it be? Honestly, um, it would be like, don't, don't worry so much about little things. Like, and everybody told me this too, and this probably sounds cliche and stuff, but like you just, for instance, like don't worry so much about like numbers of procedures in down school. Like you need to get the minimum to graduate, right? 
Um, but it's very easy to like really take up a lot of, a lot of, uh, effort and like emotional reserve, like worrying about what you're not doing. Right. Cause there's always going to be that person in your class that's doing more than the rest or whatever. And, or you might be doing a little bit less and it makes you feel really like, you know, worried about, Oh my God, am I going to be a good dentist? Can I ever be a good dentist if I don't do five crowns in dental school, let's say for instance, or whatever it is. And like, truthfully at the end of the day, um, like nobody is proficient when they leave dental school. doesn't matter where you went to school even, right? Like you're still a new grad and the amount of work that you're going to do in your first year in private practice, it's, it's like, you're going to eclipse what you did in all of dental school in like weeks, like truthfully. Right. And so don't spend months stressing yourself out about like, I'm only doing three crowns instead of five and my classmate is doing five. And that means they're going to get into private practice and they're going to be doing full mouth rehab. And I'm not going to be doing it because I didn't get these two crowns and all this stuff. Like that's not the way that it is. So like focus on you and your situation and like doing as much as you can to like make you like try and get better every single day but try not to compare yourself with all the people that are in your class and stuff, because what you do in dental school does, does not mean does not directly translate into how successful you're going to be in the first couple years of practice. Right. So just try to like enjoy it and not stress so much over that kind of stuff. And like, you guys are just getting into clinic. So you don't really know what I'm talking about yet, but I guarantee you in six months, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. So like, for me, that's the big thing. I think that like just trying to you know focus on yourself is, is better than, try and compete with all the other people in your class. Words of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> then you actually get to enjoy the last two years, <laughs> which is, which is great. Right. So yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll add to that too. Like, I know you guys are probably tired of hearing me talk, but, um, a perfect example is that two of my residents or three of my co-residents, I'm the only one from an Ontario school in, in my residency program. And when I started, I was like, I, I was, I had like, I would say like probably significantly less experience in like certain areas, like surgery and stuff like that compared to my co-residents that went to other schools. And it stressed me out for the first month, two, three months kind of thing. And now, now we're all like very much on the same, the same level for a lot of things. Right. And so that's like a perfect example of like how it doesn't make or break how well you're going to do in the first 12 months after you graduate. So try not to worry about it. Yeah. So Chris, are you going to do a GPR now? <laughs> uh, you're the question mark, man. You're the question mark. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just got to, Jonah's right, man. I just got to talk around, talk There's to people. There's so much. There's so much you got to know. It's crazy. No, but it he feels he's like, right though. I'm not stressing about anything, you know? It's just, however it goes, it goes. That's um, a good perspective to have, yeah. 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 It seems like everyone we talk to, it, it really is about kind of asking yourself what you want and what your values are and, and kind of going, going off of that. Um, I think that's like the one thing that I've been finding in common with all these people that are doing different things um, that, that really work for them. For sure. Yeah. Just try and be honest, just try and come up with like a three year plan or whatever. And like really, and then just like kind of set that target and then just be like, okay, hey, how am I going to get there fast enough? Cause if you want to own five practices in three years, don't do a residency, right? <laughs> start, start buying practices and building them. Right. But if you, if you, you know, don't want to do that and you want to do something else and then all of that. Uh, there's no Jonah, there's no way your three, a uh, three year plan is, is last year was the same as, as it is this year. And it's definitely like, the company. Oh, no, you're right. It's not a change. <laughs> yeah, like now I'm thinking about maybe I want to specialize too, but I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. So, but also the dental corp thing really like that kind of set my three year plan too. Right. 
Like yeah. as soon as I got into my residency and then as soon as I won the award, like I knew what my next three years were. Right. So I've actually kind of stopped thinking about it so much as well. So, yeah. cause it's kind of like set out there for me. Right. And then over the next two years, I'm going to start like thinking about it again. So you're right. Things change for sure. Yeah. yeah. Things change for sure. And like when you start dental school, like if you're in your first or second year, like I guarantee you what you think you love, you, you like, and what you actually like or what you want to do is going to change by the time you get fourth year. And that's just what happens for virtually everybody, right? Like how many people did you know that wanted to be a oral surgeon when they got into dental school? Half the class? <laughs> I guarantee you half the class is going to want to do oral surgery when you finish fourth year, right? So you just kind of got to like be honest with yourself and just like try and try and speak to people that you feel share your, your values and like maybe um, have a career that you almost want to emulate and then like just try and chat with them and, and run with it, right? Alrighty. Well, I'm going to wrap it up, I guess. Uh, so this has been the business of drilling. Thank you so much for listening. Check out debbieacademy.ca and check out Debbie Academy on Facebook. We're also on Instagram at debbie.academy. And Jonah, do you have any social media or anything you want to plug? Oh God, you know what? Uh, like I have like, it's like Dr. Jonah DDS. But honestly, guys, I like, I'm like anti-social media personally. Like, so you can follow me, but I do not post. So, <laughs> so get on there, but you're not going to see anything. But uh, yeah, so you can like, you can look me up on LinkedIn and if people have questions and stuff, they can, they can send me a message. That's probably like what I use the most is LinkedIn just to try and like, you know, talk to people in a professional way. But other than that, not so much. So, so thank you for asking for if I want to plug myself, but, but honestly, I'm not quite <laughs> social media asking for that yet. So Maybe in a year. Nice. <laughs> so just reach out. I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people are going to reach out to you to see, like, just kind of pick your brain about the Alberta GPR and stuff and sure. see what your opinions are. Um, no, thanks a lot for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and seeing you all again. And good luck in the next couple of years. And uh, if you guys have any questions, don't feel, uh, don't, don't be shy. You can always reach out. Well, yeah. thanks so much. And Chris, Sherry, thanks for co-hosting. Yeah. We'll end it there.